0: Welcome to No Diagnostic Required, the companion show to the C++ Annotated Newsletter. This is episode one, which is of course the second episode, and we've got another batch of news from the C++ community to cover. So I'm Phil Nash, Developer Advocate at JetBrains, and I'm joined by my co-host Anastasia Kesakova, Product Marketing Manager for C++ Tools at JetBrains. Anastasia, how's your 2020 been?
1: Ah, could be much better. (laughs)
0: Yeah, well, I think most of us could agree with that, especially if you're listening to this in, in real time. So let's rephrase, since this is the December edition, how's your Christmas been?
1: Um, You know, in Russia, we do celebrate the Orthodox Christmas, so which is in January. So we have the New Year first, so we're preparing for the New Year a little bit. And, but yeah, I did have some celebration on the 25th of December, which was actually my birthday. So ah. yeah, I was celebrating some birthday.
0: <laughs> well, happy birthday. Thanks. I've got a uh, got a birthday tomorrow actually my daughter uh, has a birthday on the 29th I've got two sons who had a birthday on the 21st so it oh. does seem to be the season for for birthdays and celebrations so yeah, yeah maybe a maybe a more positive turn of events <laughs> let's hope that <laughs> yeah. the next year is going to be a bit better all round but while we're still stuck in 2020 uh 2020 has um, has had some interesting news in the C++ world. And in particular, it's been a year of 20s all around, starting with 20 years of LLVM. Do you want to tell us about that?
1: Yeah, actually, that's great news so that this year, December 14, actually LLVM turned 20, which is like a surprisingly huge number of years for LLVM. And I was really surprised to see that. Um, actually, funny fact I noticed is that JetBrains has also turned twenty this year, so actually the same age as And yeah. uh, You know, when I think about LVM, I usually first started thinking about Clang and how they do compete with GCC and benefit both from this competition in terms of the uh, you know the features, the language support. So, which is kind of nice to see that there's like twenty years of, of this thing. And but. Actually, LVM is much more than a compiler. So there is LVM core, which is probably the most important thing. And this, there is a Twitter f- uh, thread uh, where the people do uh, like celebrate the 20 years of LVM and sharing their, uh, how they got acknowledged with the LVM. And it's uh, very interesting to see that most of the people actually first uh, learned about LVM when they were trying to do a backend for their like any custom compiler, any. Uh, any language they are doing so and using LVM core as a backend. And that's great stuff. There are so many nice and interesting languages um, mentioned there actually. And we also do like LVM uh, backend for Kotlin native. So we also like uh, do rely on that and that's probably a very typical thing. And that's a nice backend, which is like capable of many, many things. I don't know. Have you ever tried to write a language with the backend on LVM Phil?
0: I've not, at least not directly. But interestingly, a few years ago, in a previous job, when I have a real job, I was actually working on a uh, like a pseudo reflection system, sort of using macros and templates and things. You can imagine the sort of thing. Uh, so I had to come up with some sort of hierarchy of uh, types and annotations. And uh, while I was working on this, a bit later, I actually saw LLVM's object model uh, for its parser, and all the similar concepts seemed to be expressed in almost an identical way to what I'd come up with, and. I'm still not sure if that's a good thing, but,
1: but there it is. <laughs> yeah, like, and if our listeners have uh, like um, any story, they. You could share it actually with Celebrate LVM Tag, and I guess LVM people will be happy to rate for it. So there are many interesting stories in the in Twitter. Um, so with the tag, so just go on and write your own there. And, you know, like LVM is not just the LVM core as a backend and not just the Clang compiler or like the tools like we're using, like Clang Tidy, Clang Format, the not the real standard in C++, but kind of. and that, That's really great. We're missing the standard tools in the ecosystem. So also like debugger um, and like various libraries. And just recently, we found out a very interesting thing that if you're on Windows, so you probably know that if you take the Clang from LVM repo, so it will be built with the Microsoft Visual C++ compiler, which means it will be built. We'll, we'll be using the building macros and the include search paths from like Microsoft ecosystem. And if you don't want that, there there is a workaround right now. So you can actually take the Clang from MSYS2 and use it with the min.jw. So if you want to avoid the dependencies on the Microsoft stuff, so which is a nice way we're kind of using it right now on our own. So to like to build the Clang daemon, we're using it in C-Line so we've even written the blog post on that so you can check the details if you're interested in doing that but yeah that's just a nice fact i learned recently
0: yeah that is one thing that i missed in that in that previous job i was telling you about Uh, i was looking at what LLVM could do and i think it'd be great if we could just use LLVM to generate all this metadata for us instead of having to write it in macros but at the time i think Getting LLVM to, to build on Windows was possible, but it was a big task in its own right. So yeah, we're in a yeah. much better place these days. So I'm, I'm pretty pleased about that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: So, talking of 20s, the, the story continues with C 20, of course, which, uh, which was published finally just this month. And it's one of those things that, I mean, the same thing happened with, with C 17. Uh, now that we we have podcasts telling us about these things in real time, it's like C plus plus 17 is here, and then a few months later, and now C plus plus 17 is really here, and now a few months <laughs> later, and now it's really, really here. So we, we seem to have had this news a few times, and it's because you get uh, you get three stages. You get when it was sort of finally ratified by the committee, which actually happened uh, back in, in Prague uh, right at the beginning of this year, uh, and then later. Um, it, it's gone through all the review process by the uh, the national bodies and finally to get signed off by the, all members of the committee and gets pushed to ISO itself. And then finally they check that all the paperwork's been done correctly and, and publish it as a standard. And that's now what's happened. So C plus plus twenty is now an official standard, even though the work was actually all finished quite some time ago.
1: Yeah, and you can now buy it.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do you
1: plan to buy standards or are you fine with the draft? <laughs>
0: I'm fine with the draft. Uh, I say that, I mean, I haven't read the draft, so.
1: Okay, okay.
0: I actually find, funnily enough, since I've been following the the, the committee itself, I find that reading the the papers that go into the committee are are more readable than the the standard itself because they haven't gone through the process of being written in standard E's just yet so much. They're more written to appeal to other programmers. The downside, though, is if you're following a particular feature, like uh, spent a lot of time following co-routines, for example, and there were so many different slight variations on it that you, you start to get confused, which is the one that's actually going in now?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: <laughs> that thing that I looked into deeply, did that actually make it in? So th- there's, a, there's a positive side and a negative side to that. But
1: Yeah, yeah, true. True, yeah. And actually, like, you know, C20 is packed with so many things and like everyone who's looking at it are so excited. And I remember there was a nice Fred on Reddit a year ago, I guess, when they were discussing what are the most excited things about the C20. Uh, I guess most of the people were mentioning modulus and quite a lot were mentioning concepts, like, you know, and coroutines, all the big freeze. But also there are like things like Freeway comparison operator and feature test macros, which are great, or like no unique address attribute, which is also great, and many other great things. But if you go deeper into the list and you start thinking about it, the next question you have is when the things are going to be delivered in my compiler, (laughs) which is probably Mm -hmm. the most important one right now. And but it's good to see at the comparison table of the uh, like how the compiler implements the C plus plus twenty, and you'll you'll see many many things delivered there, or they're gonna be delivered quite soon. Like we talked last time about the GCC eleven and the model support, which they just announced there, and uh, like MSVC, which announced the some kind of. Re- at least partial support for, for models. So, and it's good to see that like the concepts are more or less there with like some, something's things not yet delivered, but mostly they're uh, in general there. Um, and like all other things are, uh, partially there at least, or uh, some of them are fully there, which is great because that means that. You can actually not just look at the C plus plus twenty, you know, or buy the the standard or read the draft, but actually use it, which is probably the most important thing. Um, yeah, so we'll see how the adoption will go. So we'll run the service and we'll see if the people actually are adopting the C plus plus twenty. Maybe not in twenty twenty one. I don't believe the majority will adopt it in twenty twenty one, but maybe year after year it will come to the to the biggest uh, standard so far these days.
0: Oh yeah, C plus plus twenty is a big release. Many are saying it's the biggest release since C plus plus ninety eight, or released eleven. Um, I think possibly <laughs> even bigger than that. I remember when C plus plus ninety eight was first published. To some extent, it was really just standardising what we already had, but all the little details turn out to be quite tricky to implement, and it was years before we had compilers that implemented all of it. In fact, I think there was only ever one okay. compiler that ever implemented all of it. I nobody ever used that one, so we're in a much better position now with even with C plus plus twenty than we were back then, despite it being such a big release. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited.
1: That's true. Do you use B by the way C plus plus twenty in Catch two? Uh,
0: no, uh, not yet. Um, I mean, I should qualify that by saying I've not been like an active developer on on the Catch codebase for a year or two now. So maybe something slipped in, but as I understand it, um, it still uh, only promises to. Support C++11, as in if you've got a C++11 only compiler, it should still work. What well, we did talk about uh, even a year or two ago whether we should move to 14, and there are some nice things that could clean up some of the internals a bit. But it didn't really seem to be worth it for, for the sake of bringing everyone over to 14. So, you know, the next question would be 17. So there's a few nice things there. In particular, we've got like a complete implementation of optional and, and some other C++17 features we've had to sort of backfill. So that would be nice, but still not quite sure if, it, if it's that worth it. But twenty, I think, would finally give us some some really substantial new features to uh, to to build a framework around. Particularly uh, ranges, which would uh, interact very well, I think, with generators and co routings as well, uh, which I think could work with generators. But even just with the the general test case mechanism could actually be re-implemented mm-hmm. in terms of co routings So. Uh, been thinking about that but there's nothing actively going on in catch at the moment uh, in that respect but if you want to see what a a test framework looks like that's been built from the ground up on top of c plus plus 20 you should look at uh, boost experimental ut by uh, Chris chris because he, he's taken all the ideas that i had and and run with them <laughs>
1: Yeah, cool. I'm just wondering if there are any modern open-source projects utilizing C++20 these days. I've heard at one of the recent CppCasts that Clink uh, in Serenity OS, uh, they're kind of using C++20, not really utilizing the features yet, but planning to start and actually like, yeah, announcing that they are with C++20. So it's, I'm just wondering, uh, who are those brave people who are already with C++20, even with some kind of partial compiler support? So it would be interesting to see more projects in the projects in this field, definitely.
0: Yeah, I, I suspect we'll see in the near future we'll start to see new projects starting on C plus plus twenty, but it'll be a bit longer before existing projects, especially those that have a large following already, um, actually move over because it's going to cut off so many people. Yeah, uh, at least in the short term.
1: Yeah, indeed, indeed.
0: Okay, so. Sticking with the 20s, we've got yet another one, and that's uh, a blog post from the Resharper C blog, C 20 Comparisons in Resharper C 2020.3. So you get free 20s for the price of one in that title. i to press about this one.
1: Yeah. Like that's a blog post written by the developer from the ReServer C++ team. And actually the interesting stuff is that it's kind of mostly dedicated to the reasoning behind the comparison changes in general, like why do we need them? Why do we have them? And which problem they actually address, because sometimes it's not very clear to the, to the developers why we do need this fancy spaceship operator, which is like fancy on its own, but also we It brings lots of value because before that we lived in the world when we had like two quality operators and like four relational operators and the CPB core guidelines, they're saying to us that if you implement one, you should implement actually all six and if you you do compare different types, then the, yeah, the number is growing. And so you have to implement all of them. You could use some, you know, generation feature, uh, which we do have in Reserver C++ to help you with some things. But anyway, it's just a boilerplate code you're either generating or implementing on your own, which is maybe not good. So the spaceship operator actually makes the task quite easy. It's like a single operator and with equality operator and a spaceship operator, you can like, that, that's all you need actually. So just these two, you actually even can live with just one, the spaceship that in, uh, if you... Uh, think more about the performance. So performance-wise, it's probably better to use both because, like, for some types, for some cases, the equality might work faster than the implementation for the spaceship. Because, like, if you, for example, have a container class, uh, the equality could returns uh, could return actually if the size uh, the sizes don't match. With, while the spaceship will do some extra work here. So yeah, performance-wise, like you'd better take two, and you can like go with them and. If implement all the all the stuff you need for them. And the you can actually rewrite the comparisons in a very nice thing because the spaceship bit actually returns, you know, this type comparable with zero. So you can rewrite the comparison in a very nice way when you're just uh, comparing with with the zero. And so there are lots of good stuff how you can improve your code and remove the kind of not the plate code, but the code, which probably you don't really need. So, and you can make the code easier and more lightweight. So, and it's really great. So. Uh, the blog post is actually covering that in detail. So you can uh, go through the examples uh that Igor is talking there about, so they're really nice. But the blog post is also talking about the Principles C support. So in 2020.3, Igor actually dedicated the whole release cycle mostly to that thing. So he did a great job of supporting the new comparison workflow in Principles C. So it just like create uh you can create a breeder from usages, it was there before that it now takes into account the spaceship opportunities and it also can add like, for example, the missing compare header for you or like uh, deal with the implicitly generated Quality cases or defaulted comparison operators and suggest all the various checks to help you make your code accurate enough. So, yeah, I just recommend you go through it and um, check the blog post for details if you're interested. So, but yeah, the C20 comparison, the spaceship is not just a fancy operator. You know, I like the name actually. I don't know. How do you feel about the name?
0: <laughs> oh, it landed well with me.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, indeed. So, um, and yeah, and I actually have, a, you, you probably don't see it, but I have a spaceship on my t-shirt, which is not the spaceship operator, but the Core Heart Conference, <laughs> a C++ uh-huh. one. Um, yeah, but yeah, spaceship looks nice and sounds nice. And it, which is more important, it does a great job for C++ comparisons.
0: So um, we, we often hear that we should we should write code correct first, and then only once we've profiled, then go and optimize the, the, the bits <laughs> that we need to. With the spaceship operator, uh, the the great thing is the bit that we have to write correct first is pretty much done for us. It's great not to have to write any code and then only have to write code where we have to optimize. So just for that reason alone, I think it's a great way forward.
1: Yeah, I like that for it is great not to write any code. (laughs) You don't make mistakes. (laughs) What is it?
0: Uh, No no code has less bugs than no code.
1: Yeah, true, true.
0: (laughs) So uh, we're done with the 20s for now, but um, boost moves on. There's been a new release, version 1.75. Do you want to tell us about this?
1: Yeah, somehow it's not 20. Surprisingly, I would expect some <laughs> kind of a 20 release there. But you know, um, there is this fancy story mentioned in the known issues on the page that the boost operators in 175 is actually incompatible with C++ 20 exactly because of the comparison changes, which is a funny thing. Yeah, but seriously speaking, like As I used to think about the Boost, maybe it's not that true these days, but as I used to think about it for a while, is that the Boost is kind of a playground for the future C++ changes. So when I look at the Boost release, I immediately start thinking about what's coming to C++ in the next one or two releases. So And because of that, it's interesting to see that there are three new libraries entered Boost in 175. One is the JSON, like parsing and serialization in C++ 11. Um, nice, nice thing, nice library. So it doesn't have any like boost dependencies. so it could be used as a header only, which is fine. Uh, without boost, I guess it requires the C++ 17, but still it's like very nice thing. Um, there is also leaf, which is a raw handling library for C++ 11. Again, it's like uh, no boost dependencies and it's header only. And there is this concept of the transport of... Arbitrary error types is independent of a call stack depth, which make a huge improvement the performance. So there is this use case in mind that the colors um, of the function, they actually... Not handle the error, but just forward it. So that that's why uh, this this uh, performance thing. But I'm more interested in how leaf is actually related to the uh, recent proposal uh, by Herb Sutter and the team about the error handling. Do you know something about that, Phil? Because I know you were contributing to the proposal.
0: <laughs> yeah. So the, you're talking about P 709 Now they are mostly called static exceptions, which I, I believe is still. Going through the standardisation process, when I was in uh, in Prague, they were starting to talk about it in anger, uh, I mean literally in anger. They got got to its first sort of a meeting, some resistance, um, and there's been a lot on the uh, the mailing list since then. But as far as I know, that's still still going ahead, still working its way through. Uh, and that is a um, a new form of error handling that looks very similar to the exceptions that we have today, but is implemented much more like ADT-based error handling where you, um, you you sequence your code together using uh, basically monads. But it sort of hides all the monadic stuff from you, so it looks more like exceptions. And I still believe that is the the way forward for, for exceptions, uh, for error handling in C++. We'll, we'll see if we actually get there. But around the time that I first started talking about that, um, about two or three years ago now, somebody pointed me at this uh, leaf library before it was accepted into Boost. And it looked really interesting, because it solved most of the same problems that, were making us question whether we should be using exceptions, uh, particularly the, uh, the performance and determinism aspects that uh, the people in the, the real-time and embedded systems were particularly thinking about. And one of the reasons that it does that is because when you, when you start off a, a series of calls, you reserve on the stack, or at least the library reserves on the stack, room for all possible error types that are going to be handled. Because it knows which ones you can handle at the call site even if it doesn't know which ones are going to be thrown or, or returned. And then the actual propagation of errors is still done through something more like error codes. So coming down the stack that way, but very lightweight. And it's only when you actually need to consult the the uh, error info itself that you look at where that object is being written to in the stack, which I know at one point, I'm not sure if it's still the case after the boost review, was accessed via thread uh, local storage. I think there were pointers in there, but I'm not quite sure how the mechanism works now. Um, But certainly there's a way of then looking at that information um, in the the stack rather than it having to be allocated on the heap as it is with exceptions and then looked up using RTTI. And that's where all the non-determinism and performance implications come from. So so that's pretty good. And you get most of the same benefits of having a lightweight object passed down the stack, which is what P0709 gives you as well. But still, it's a library. And a library for dealing with something as intrusive as error handling means that you're still going to see it. Uh, it still gives you a fair bit of extra boilerplate um, as you as you propagate these, these things around. It's, it's pretty good because a lot of it gets pushed off to this. Um, let's say it used to at least be for local storage, but you still pay a bit of a cost there. So I would still much prefer to see something baked into the language for handling something so fundamental as error handling. But certainly right now, if you're looking at, alternate error handling approaches, particularly if you're feeling the pain of exceptions in terms of performance and and determinism, then you should seriously look at boost Leaf. Having been through the boost review process, I'm sure any uh, issues that that were there before um, will will have been ironed out because it's, it's quite an intense process. So definitely worth a look at if you haven't looked at it already, but I'm still hoping for P0709.
1: Yeah, I think that's one of the most interesting part for the epistreli. So there are also this uh, PFR library, which is the library for reflection by Anthony Paluhid. So I think we've heard, uh, like... Uh, uh, quite a lot about it from Anthony because he's kind of reactive in the Russian community, the C one, I mean. So, but yeah, it's a nice library, like C 14 reflection library, again, like no boost dependencies and header only. And all, And the great thing is that you get actually access to members by index or you get the methods to visit each uh, field of the structure and like in person functions and hashes and all of this without like macros and boilerplate code, which is great because. Because if you think about the reflection, quite often you get into macros or something like that, like Unreal Engine, which is um, a great game developer uh, engine thing, but it actually implements reflection via macros and via, in particular, via line macros, which are kind of awful. So I hate that. So you get into all of the problems with the macros. Uh, there is so macros implementation, macros based implementation are to my extent, uh, the most awful ones. So it's great to see that there is a library you can use right now. So if you want to do some reflection, you can already try. So it's maybe not the uh, not giving you the full power of the reflection. Uh, just some basic stuff, but it's already enough for quite many tasks and you'll get that without all the spoiler code, which is nice. So it's nice to see that it's in Boost, actually. So, yeah, these are the free libraries. There are also some updates to other libraries um, back to the release that you can go to the Boost page and learn about them in details. Great. So
0: another uh, Boost release to, to look at. Yeah. That's sort of the end of the... Um... The, the pure technology part of our material there's a bit of uh, community news so a uh, podcast first of all the last episode as well as launching our own podcast we mentioned two others in the community that had just uh, just launched as well uh, tlb hit and adsp but since then we've had yet another one to his complement um and this is not strictly a a c++ podcast uh, i think it's mostly about uh, games programming actually but I thought it's worth mentioning because one of the hosts is Matt Godbolt, who, of course, is very well known in the community, particularly for uh, Compiler Explorer. So it's Matt and uh, Ben Rady uh, talking about uh, programming, um, perhaps particularly games programming. And uh, they've had one episode so far, uh, of course, episode zero, uh, talking about their their history together and uh, individually, their career development, with how they've got to to where they are today. So definitely worth uh, adding that to your podcast queue, which by now, I'm sure, is overflowing. So I do wonder if this sudden proliferation of podcasts in the C++ community has come about because we've all been stuck at home for so long. But we'll we'll see whether that continues. We get a new podcast every month. We could be in in interesting 2021. Uh, But talking of podcasts, we were mentioned in uh, last week's CPP cast, the first podcast for c++ programmers who, who mentioned our uh, inaugural episode and i believe uh, jason did ask uh, what our frequency was going to be because cpp cast of course is is weekly almost every week and we're going to be monthly just to settle that one so this is the uh, the december 2020 edition we last had the the november edition and we will continue monthly from now on that's the idea and i, I believe you just wanted us to say uh, hi to to jason
1: Yeah, I think we should say hi to Jason because he actually said hi to me in this episode (laughs) of CBBCast talking about this Renity to us. I guess it was like um, a little bit less than a couple of weeks ago, a week and a half probably. So yeah, hi Jason. Um, Yeah, sorry. Um, So uh, actually it would be a little bit hard to chat that way because they're kind of weekly, they're monthly, so the chat won't be very nice. So probably we should find another way of chatting.
0: Yeah, it could be like one of those, um, Um, uh, sci-fi films where people have to have this async conversation um, (laughs) across multiple light years and wait weeks for the answers (laughs)
1: yeah yeah let's see if we get the answer
0: (laughs) and some more community news Uh, again just as there are now so many podcasts in the C++ world uh, we, we have it seems plenty of conferences but there is one more so why another C++ conference this one is a little bit different. Uh, it's been created by uh, Jean-Hib Manide. And he's uh, particularly putting a focus on um, inclusion and diversity. And if you know Jean-Hib probably give you an idea why he's been very um, uh, central in the community trying to, to promote those things. And he hears himself from a an underrepresented minority. But also just on the, the pure technical side. he'd noticed that there wasn't really any conferences for C programmers. And so he's wanted to make this a systems programming conference rather than a C++ conference. So as well as C++ and C, uh, looking at uh, Rust uh, and even uh, Lua and and other languages that would call themselves a system programming language. So it's a system programming language, but with a particular emphasis on uh, inclusion and diversity. Uh, And I think that can only be a good thing. So... Good luck to the John Heed with with that.
1: Yeah, good luck. Great initiative, actually. I think I was definitely missing the uh, Pure C conference in the past when I was mostly doing the C, but I think it would be good now as well because there are so many people who are interested in like kind of native development. And so they would love to learn a lot about what's going on there in C, not just, you know, come into the C and C++ conferences and learning mostly about C++. Uh, so yeah, that that's great. That's interesting. So, but yeah, I feel like I'm missing conferences a lot.
0: Yep, yeah, yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how 2021 unfolds, particularly later in the year um, as, as vaccines and things come into play. We're not going to discuss that so much, but I <laughs> hope for that the impact on our community is going to be a positive one. So we'll we'll keep you informed as that develops. Yeah,
1: let's hope for the best.
0: Yep. Yeah. And finally, well, almost finally, I think we've got two more things. But uh, this was uh, an interview question on uh, on Reddit. That somebody brought up. Maybe you want to take us through this one, Anastasia.
1: Yeah, I just uh, run into this nice Reddit thread and discussing this example, which uh, someone got from uh, on an interview. So and there was like that simple question: What we'll see in the terminal after we run this code? And there was a very interesting discussion. So, uh, like first of all, yeah, there was a discussion if we're indeed referencing the null So which uh, actually is the case, and uh, and there like leads to undefined behavior. And that's actually the short answer. So like yeah, you got the undefined behavior. so You got whatever you can get here. So there are no right answer probably here with UB. But uh, despite the fact that like no guarantees uh, because of the UB uh, are coming from the standards, still there are lots of things which might happen in the real compilers. And there is a very nice discussion in the thread about what actually is coming there in the compilers. And from this thread, I actually learned from the Microsoft compiler flag for exception handling model which uh, actually allows you to specify the exception handling model supported and uh, the arguments that to specify where uh, whether to apply catch syntax to like both structured and standard c++ exceptions so which is nice so you can actually get the uh, exception Uh, cut here, or you can get the segmentation fault. And yeah, in general, the right answer is we don't know what we get. And that's probably the typical answer in C++. But yeah, with the compilers, you can still do something and try to control the behavior, which gives you a little bit of a hope here.
0: So as so often happens, there is a simple answer, which is we don't know. And there's the C++ community answer, which is a a sprawling mass of multiple layers of (laughs) well-actually.
1: Yeah, and it actually was interesting to see that many people were just giving an example a try and they say like, okay, so I got this and then okay. I got this and the answers were different. So which proves that, yeah, there is indeed an undefined behavior, but then it's a very interesting discussion on what you could get with the compilers and what are the compilers guarantees, which are the real world guarantees not the standard guarantees and fortunately or unfortunately in the modern c++ we often get these things kind of different at least a little bit so maybe with ub it's kind of fortunate behavior i don't know will have you got any tricky questions in the interview in your life
0: (laughs) the one you remember there was definitely one time that i got caught out by a question and it's only afterwards i went off and read up on it and i realized that It was one of those questions where the interviewer was not really asking for a specific answer. They just wanted to know which books you'd read. And if I Mm. remember right, it was some years ago. If I remember rightly, it was, don't remember the full question, but it involved virtual constructors. And so most programmers' immediate response was, we can't make a constructor virtual. But that wasn't the answer they were looking for. They wanted to know if you'd read uh, Scott Mayer's books, which were fairly new at the time, where he talks about virtual constructors as a pattern, which we might think of as the factory method these days uh, before we called it that mm-hmm. um, and i hadn't quite read the book at that time <laughs> so uh, yeah I'm, I'm never quite sure if that's a good interview technique or not but uh, i do remember that sticking out
1: yeah i remember i was trapping people uh on my own when i was working in the in the yota company when we were doing like the four, uh, 4g networks development uh, various like networking congestion systems and i was regularly asking the people who are coming to the interview, what's the difference between the TCP and IP. And you know, that's a real trap because usually they are expecting the question about what's the difference between the TCP and UDP. Mm -hmm. And when I ask about the TCP and IP and they're like, "Uh, okay, and they start thinking and some answers were really uh, surprising. Uh, some of them were like good enough. So the person starts thinking about the layers and like, yeah, these are from the different layers, that was okay. But quite often we get a whole bunch of very funny answers that we were uh, keeping inside the team as uh, nice jokes afterwards. But yeah. So sometimes you can trap with an easy question, actually not getting into the, you know, undefined behavior in C++.
0: (laughs) I could tell you a joke about UDP, but you might not get it. (laughs) Yep. The old ones are the best, eh? Yeah, I like it. <laughs> so there was one more thing that uh, we wanted to talk about. We had a uh, an AMA Ask Me Anything session on uh, Reddit for Sea Lion a couple of weeks ago now, wasn't it?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, it was just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we locked the thread already, but you still can reach for it. So uh, I actually would like to say that I first would like to thank uh, Rob Irving. You probably know him as a host of the CPP cast for doing a great job as a uh, CPP Reddit, subreddit moderator who was helping us with the EMA session. So thank you, Rob, really, for, for all your assistance. So uh, yeah, we tried the AMA format. Uh, in the way of the webinar in May, I think, in yeah. 2020. That was nice and we really liked it. But after that, we decided that maybe we have to try something new. So we decided to try Reddit. And so we actually loved that a lot. So we've got maybe... 35 questions, and but there were huge discussions under each one. So we've uh, run into various discussions. There were like seven people from the team answering and a few more like, you know, behind the scene helping us with the answers. So that was nice. The thing that surprised me is that we got lots of questions on the two particular project models and... Uh, you could probably guess, but that was not the CMake or Make files, which are kind of popular these days, but that was Mason and Bazel. And like, if I look at the results of the, for example developer ecosystem research would do. I see that the Bazel is something about like 3%. And like, yeah, it's growing because the Google is kind of pushing it. And there are, I know some companies, uh, big companies who are using Bazel and relying on it a lot, not only in the C++ area, actually. So it's not just for, for C++. And also like Mason is kind of also... Not that big, so in our search is uh, it's inside the less than four percent for uh, all the rest. So I even don't know the exact percent. I think it's kind of small. So, but still, the people were asking about it. I looked uh, after that. I was looking at the Mason side. I was looking at the projects which uh, do work for Mason. I was surprised that I've seen uh, kind of lots of um, known projects. So I'm just wondering, like. Uh, why these two in particular are of interest to the readers um, they're on Reddit. So if there is something in them we should learn about <laughs> or know more about, because before that, I was mostly pinged about the um Probably because of the Russell Winter who is constantly asking me about the Ascon <laughs> support in C-Line. But also, I think it's used, uh, if I'm not mistaken, in Godot. So the people from using the Godot are also asking about the Ascon support. So I'm not sure what the case for Mason and Bazel here uh, is so... Yeah, it would be interesting to know more how the people are like using this. So if you do use this project models, just uh do leave a command on on the project if that's open source, or just describe how why why are you selecting the uh, one of these two. So probably with Bazel, it's more um obvious, but with Mason, I really interested why why do you use that? So what's the benefits it brings to, to your project? So it would be interesting to learn more. Um yeah, so and the, another thing which actually, um, attract my attention was the interest in. Uh, debugger feature, but not, you know, not the standard question about the debugger feature, maybe because we covered a lot in the recent release, but it was about the cross-debuggers, you know, the cross-debugger for Python slash C and Java slash C. So and that was really interesting because I'm wondering what are the projects which are mixing this language in the way that they need these cross-debuggers. So obviously there's like Android and DK, which you can think of first if you think about the Java slash C, maybe Python or something like TensorFlow in terms of Python slash C++, but I do not know more. So if you have nice cases uh, in your projects, just please share with us because I'm really wondering what are the cases for this cross debugger. I don't know, Phil, have you ever used any kind of this cross debugger thing? So in what cases, what, what, was the, what were the languages and what were the case if you do? Um,
0: I've mostly used them going from C++ to and from C Sharp or perhaps back in the day, VB as well. Ah, okay. Uh, but C-sharp was quite popular, both through C++, CLI, or through uh, P-invoke interfaces. Mm-hmm. Each have their own idiosyncrasies, of course. But in terms of uh, Python and C++, I know that's got very popular in uh, in finance and in the banking world in general, because Python, the great, obviously, high-level language for instrumenting things, but a lot of the heavy lifting done in C++, for, for the same reasons that in, in ML, you have the same sort of pattern as well.
1: Yeah, you will probably interact into, interop into PRC in case of any performance critical task from... Many other languages like Python or uh, I know Go. Developers also do that quite often. So probably in that case, you indeed might need a cross debugger, which might be an interesting stuff. And yeah, like I would say that we even tried that. You know, so we have uh, we had a student in the past who did this prototype for the cross debugger. So it was a funny thing to work on, I guess, um, to work at. And so we looked at this prototype. It was interesting and nice. I don't think we ever was um, we ever made it to the production. Levels, so maybe we should if there is really this kind of an interest. So I, I was kind of surprised to see that that questions in the session, but yeah, thank you everyone for, for your questions. It was uh, like nice thing, and I especially like the question you feel answered there, so maybe you can talk about that.
0: Yeah, quite proud of my contribution uh, to this thread. <laughs> so, somebody thought they were being clever by asking, Yeah, what, so what's one plus one? So, of course, my engineer's answer is it depends. Depends on the definitions of one, or what definitions of one are in scope, or in the same namespace as the plus operator, and as well as how or whether the plus operator is overloaded. So, yeah, that's uh, C plus plus for you, I'm afraid.
1: Yeah, that's a very good C plus plus answer in a C plus plus dedicated thread.
0: Okay, well, that's um, all the the material that we've got to cover for this episode, and that means for the rest of this year. So. We will be back with more c++ news in the new year there'll be a, a january edition they said we're going to be monthly moving forwards so if you have anything you particularly want to see covered uh, you should let us know we'll try and put some contact details up on the the website so you can reach us there if you don't already know how to to reach us let's make this more of an interactive thing as well i think
1: yeah indeed so let us know
0: <laughs> so I suppose that just leaves us to wish everybody a a happy new year, whatever that means for you. And I hope that the next one is going to be a better one all round.
1: Yeah. Happy holidays. Yeah. Bye everyone. Bye.